All right, we are back. Uh, you know, if you do a weekly radio show, it's sometimes hard to come up with stuff, um, particularly positive stuff if you're doing a public affairs program. In a world with so much bad news, uh, we feel that, well, sometimes you have to report on the bad news because unless you have a proper diagnosis of what's going on out there, what can you do about a proper treatment? Whenever possible, we try to inject humor into this program because we think that just makes life go so much easier. But in doing what we do, and in doing what we do, how we do it, certain descriptions have emerged of late that at first had me scratching my head. For example, the word snarky. Uh, this came up in an article in the newspaper last week, uh, which of course we'll refer you to on our website, radioparallax.com. But at any rate, I'll be honest, I wasn't really sure what snarky means, so I looked it up. We went to the web and discovered on Answers.com that snarky was defined as 1. Rudely sarcastic or disrespectful, semicolon, snide. 2. Irritable or short-tempered, semicolon, irascible. And of course I'm thinking, well, that, that couldn't be me. So we continued our search. We went to the word detective on the web and found the following. Snarky is an adjective meaning critical in a sly, sarcastic, cynical, but humorous way. Now, that's more like it, I thought. Said the word detective, much of modern humor, especially political humor, is snarky. David Letterman and John Stewart are routinely snarky, for instance. Snarky humor is often said to be a recent development, but I remember Johnny Carson and even Bob Hope being fairly snarky in their days. Snarky, the word, is a fairly recent import from Britain to America, common in the British press for much of the 20th century, but only rarely heard before the early 1900s over here. The root of snarky is, as one might suspect, the word snark, but there are actually two sorts of snark. The first sort of snark is found, or more precisely, not found, in the Lewis Carroll poem, The Hunting of the Snark, the tale of a hunt for a snark, a non-existent creature. This is not the snark of snarky, although Carroll's poem did popularize snark hunt as a term for a fruitless search. The other sort of snark is a British dialect word meaning to criticize or nag, related to snore and snort. The most likely connection between snark and snort being the derisive snort of contempt that accompanies many snarky comments. To which we say, huh. And that is your word of the day, courtesy of Radio Parallax. And from the good news and bad news file, we have the following. We try to take a very broad view for this program in, in, in getting some guests that we think would be informative and entertaining and someone we've had on our short list of possible people to seek for the past couple years is Kitty Carlisle. We first thought about going after her in regard to the fact that she's one of the, uh, the last of the people who remembers the round table at the Algonquin, which was an assemblage of, uh, of American wits who frequently met at that hotel in New York, the Algonquin, uh, to uh, drink with and entertain each other. We know that Kitty Carlisle is up in years, in her 90s. Uh, people who are over 45 will no doubt remember her from the television programs To Tell the Truth and What's My Line, which you can still catch on uh, the Game Show Network. 
up to this point in time, we never seriously went after it, but kept thinking, well, we should. And and now I really am kicking myself because last weekend at age 95, Kitty Carlisle Hart appeared in San Francisco singing to sold-out rooms. Kitty Carlisle was, of course, married to the playwright and director Moss Hart. She sang, she danced, she sang opera in the 1970s. Uh, She appears as the romantic lead in the Marx Brothers' greatest comedy, A Night at the Opera. She's been active in the arts in New York City, and uh, we, we just think she'd be one stunningly great guest. So although we are shocked and chagrined to have missed an opportunity to, uh, to, to obtain an interview in, in, in conjunction with her appearance in San Francisco, we're going to see what we can do for the future. Stay tuned. And uh, speaking of distinguished guests, we're very pleased to uh, have Senator Joseph Lieberman of Connecticut now return to the program after a long hiatus. Welcome back, Senator Lieberman. Glad to be back, Doug. You know, on Iraq, I I backed the administration and paid politically, as you know, but I'm here to say I'm unabashed, Doug. Uh Uh-huh. You see, I'm part of the political opposition to the GOP. You see what I'm saying? Uh, not exactly. Well, I don't say that if Dick Cheney or Dick Armitage multiply 7 by 13, he won't get 81, Doug. Uh Uh-huh. I'm bipartisan. You know, if a, if a Republican does the figuring, I'm not one to say he's surely wrong. Uh, seven times thirteen is ninety-one, Senator. Well, that may be, but uh, you see my point. That members of both parties can be wrong. No, no, no. What? What then? No. The point is, my, both sides can agree to agree on a given reality, Doug. Let's talk Iraq, Senator. Iraqis no longer need to fear Saddam or his henchmen. That's good news. Well, Saddam, anyway. One down. How many to go? Well, that's hard to say, but give us time for peace. Give us time. Uh, how, how much time? Well, that's indeterminate. Meanwhile, we need more vehicles, munitions, helicopters, and troops to get closer to peace. So you seek war to make peace? Well, history shows that this can be necessary, yes. History, like World War I? Well, maybe. It was originally called the War to End All Wars. Well, yes, I know, but let's just say it's not the historical example I was, I was seeking, Doug. Uh, the escalation of Vietnam? I hate the word. Well, do, do you recall the war in Cambodia and Laos creating peace? All right, let's talk about the word. I never said let's escalate, Doug. The administration has never proposed an escalation. We, we call it a surge. Isn't a surge an escalation? Surge implies a temporary state, Doug. We surge towards victory. You you think of the wave at a ball game. That's a surge. Senator, why aren't we calling these mercenaries, whom taxpayers pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to patrol Iraq, what they are, which is mercenaries? Well, contractor is the operative word. That's what we use, contractor. Well... Take Blackwater. It's a private militia. Its its players take up arms, they act for money, and they wage war. Well, how is that not being mercenaries? Let's not argue semantics. Well, would you would you call hitmen bullet delivery persons? Well, I, I could if you like. Look, let's focus on the positive, Doug. Which is? Which is to improve morale in 07, we are going to give a concert series called Get This, Let Freedom Ring. 
And I'm proud to announce here on your show that Miss Connie Francis will be lending her vocal chops to the cause. She's going to go over. And Herman from Herman's Hermits, I believe. Uh-huh. And Mr. David Hasselhoff himself, he's going. And, and Charo, Miss Coochie Coochie, and, and this new kid named uh, K-Fed. Anyway, we're close to signing James Brown, too. Well, Senator, James Brown uh, actually passed away on Christmas Day. Oh, um, I see. Well, well, then scratch the godfather of soul. Barry Manilow lives. Yeah, but uh, being a Jew is a bit of an issue, Doug. The Iraqi population thinks the U.S. acts for Israel's benefit regardless of its appropriateness, you see. Well, how'd they get that idea? Well, beats me. Look, we've many swell cultural events planned, Doug. Many swell cultural events are planned. A rodeo in Basra, a Tex-Mex fiesta, and chili cook-off, Doug. Such diversions will help people get their minds onto, you know, onto pleasant things. Off, off things like maybe no electricity, car bombs, and chaos? Yeah, off exactly those sorts of things, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, any final words, Senator? Well, in Iraq, we can definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel, Doug. Are you being ironic? Doug, I really must go, but I'll be happy to follow the positive events in Iraq as they unfold, following our surge there. Okay. Remember, think of the wave, Doug, the wave. Well, I'm I'm doing it now, Senator. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. I'll be back anytime. Thank you, Senator Joseph Lieberman. And our final item for today's program comes from the miscellaneous file. According to the Associated Press, the most requested document from the National Archives is that photo of Elvis Presley shaking hands with a stiffly smiling President Richard Nixon. This meeting originally came about because Elvis Presley was told by someone in the state of Tennessee that if he wanted to carry a pistol, uh, get a concealed weapons license, he'd probably have to get it from the president himself. Well, Elvis apparently took one of the next commercial flights. During their 1970 meeting in the Oval Office, which was then made a a photo op, a very popular photo op to this day at the National Archives, Nixon agreed to make Presley a drug addict, an honorary deputy of the U.S. Bureau of Narcotics. Armed with this badge presented by the president himself, Presley then had free reign to carry his firearm as he chose. That's it for today's program. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We would like to thank Benjamin Jonas Keeling of Insight Capital Public Radio for joining us, and we wish him well and hope that we'll uh, get a progress report from our nation's capital about how things are going in the information wars with Iran. We're very pleased to announce that uh, after seeking her for many months, we have obtained C.C. Goldwater for next week's program. The HBO documentary Mr. Conservative Goldwater on Goldwater is, um, well, it's one of the best documentaries we've seen in a long time. We look very forward to talking with Cece about her famous grandfather, Senator Barry Goldwater. We'll see you next week at the same time.
is the one.